We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only... The evidence is in. We have the smoking gun. Dr. Anthony Fauci lied. He was behind the funding of the creation of the coronavirus that has swept the world and created this pandemic. Dr. Frankenstein has created this monster, and now he's trying to wash his hands of any responsibility. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. I'm going to finish out the week by circling back and talking about the story that was hot yesterday. At least it was hot in some threads, some trends in the media. Unfortunately, the mainstream media doesn't care because they're doing the bidding of whoever tells them what to say. That is not the job of the news. A free press is supposed to guard our nation against deception, against corruption, against deceit. A free press is supposed to protect us from the power of the king. It's supposed to expose the king if he is naked. If the emperor has no clothes, the free press is supposed to be on the sidelines playing the role of the little boy who says, excuse me, you all are delusional. You're all buying the lie. You're all pretending that this emperor is clad in beautiful garments, but he's naked as a jaybird. Am I the only one who's going to say it? Because I know we can all see it. That's the role of the little boy in this fable of the emperor with no clothes. And it's supposed to be the role of the free press in a free culture, in a free country. It's supposed to be the role of the mainstream media. They've abdicated any responsibility. Nobody believes them anymore because they're as guilty as Fauci for lying to us all the time. So we have to go to other sources than CBS or NBC or ABC or any other trusted, quote-unquote, news source because we don't trust them, and there's a reason for that. They've cried wolf so many times, so many times, that even if there is one there now, and there could be, I've said, I'm not a COVID denier. I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat. I believe that the virus is real. I can see that people have gotten sick. I had the disease myself. I had COVID. I've told you the story. I did not feel well. I won't go into all the symptoms. It doesn't matter. But I was sick. I didn't feel well. And I got tested later, some time later, because I was just curious. Did I have COVID? And indeed, as I've told you, my doctor called me up the day after I had my T-cell test, whatever they call that thing, and he said, the normal count should be 0 to 50. Your count is 2,450. You're a walking vaccine. 
Your body has built up antibodies to fight off this disease, and you have an extraordinary number, an extraordinary count. You are a walking army against COVID-19. Well, I'm grateful for that. But as I told you, the mainstream media wants to shut down any discussion of what I just said. They don't even allow me to write about this or speak about this without shadow banning me because nobody wants to hear about natural immunity. A scientific fact for, oh, let's say several hundred years, we've known about it and it's been in existence since the dawn of time. Natural immunity is the way the body fights off these types of viruses, these types of contagions. That's the way we are created. To ignore that, to eliminate that particular fact from the equation of how to fight this disease, what kind of, what kind of strategy we're going to employ. Yes, we'll use vaccines. They're, they're okay. They're good. They've been proven to be very effective in days gone by. I do have concerns about this one and the new technology that's being used to create it and the fact that it has not been around long enough to be tested properly. And I've talked about that ad nauseum. By definition, there's no longitudinal data to prove that this thing works or doesn't work. It hasn't been around long enough to know. You don't know. I don't know. No one knows what the long-term side effects will or won't be because it hasn't been around long enough to test, period. Does that mean you shouldn't take it? Not necessarily. If you've got a comorbidity, if you're older, if you have cancer, if you have diabetes, if, you, um, if, uh, if you're overweight, if you're morbidly obese, then maybe you want to take this thing because your health could be compromised more quickly than someone else's. And take the vaccine. It's your choice. I have no problem with that. I have no difficulty with that. In fact, if I had any of those comorbidities, I may go get the vaccine and roll the dice and assume that the vaccine will be better for me than the potential of getting COVID and having it compromised me in a very aggressive way because let's say I have cancer. My point is this. Why in the world would anybody, Dr. Fauci, Dr. XYZ, Dr. So-and-so, it doesn't matter. Why would anybody suggest that natural immunity shouldn't be part of the equation on how the United States of America tries to address this thing? Why? They shouldn't. And if they're telling you differently, they're lying. Anthony Fauci is a liar. Anthony Fauci, as I said yesterday, lied to us about masks and admitted it. He has lied to Congress about the funding of the research of the very coronavirus that was created in the Wuhan lab. And now we have the documents to prove it, to prove that he was funding it, he was behind it, and he lied to Congress about it. Like I said, Dr. Frankenstein has created a monster, and now he wants to wash his hands of the devastation that that monster 
is wreaking on our culture. Let's take a break. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Okay, I've used the analogy of Dr. Frankenstein a couple times here. I want to remind you, and you know, you've watched movies, you've read the book perhaps, which is always better because the movies, as they go through one rendition and then another and then another, the movies will take on a life of their own and sometimes deviate greatly from the moral of the story, the actual reason that the book was written in the first place. As you know, Dr. Frankenstein is a character. He's actually Victor Frankenstein. It's the character, the doctor, the scientist who decided that he could create his own human being. And he went out and got body parts from cadavers and whatnot and sewed them together. And through a series of electrocution and the use of electricity and that type of thing, actually brought this creature to life. This is Mary Shelley's novel, Frankenstein. Now, what is the key moral to that story? You know, Josephine Johnson has written an excellent essay back in 2018, not that long ago. And she titled it, Traumatic Responsibility, subtitled Victor Frankenstein as Creator and Causality. What she's saying in this essay is that the moral of Mary Shelley's novel, Frankenstein, the moral of the story is responsibility. That's the common thread running throughout the entire story. She actually, Josephine Johnson, calls it the novel chronicles the devastating consequences. Sound familiar? It's title to my book, not a daycare, the devastating consequences of abandoning truth. Well, in this essay by Josephine Johnson about Mary Shelley's classic novel, Frankenstein, where Johnson is arguing the moral to the story, the common theme, the reason the book was written by Shelley in the first place was to highlight human responsibility, human culpability. You know, the fact that we are morally aware and that we are responsible for the things we create, the things that we create through writing, the things that we create through radio, such as what I'm doing right now, the podcasts that follow thereafter. We're responsible for the things we create. The good things that we do are the consequences of us, you know, stumbling across the uh, doing it right. You know, sometimes we fumble and we bumble and we actually. Uh, by accident, do it correctly once in a while. You say something good. You write something good and enlightening. You do a good job as a parent, etc., etc. And there are positive outcomes. You were responsible for all of those things, and the outcomes were good because by God's grace, in spite of all your ineptitude and failures, it worked out well. But the opposite is also true. And what Mary Shelley is pointing out in Frankenstein is that Victor Frankenstein, the scientist, the doctor in the story, he didn't recognize 
he didn't recognize the devastating consequences, the potential for devastating consequences of his own actions. And there was an utter failure to anticipate the harm that could result from his actions and the responsibility that he, Victor Frankenstein, has for the destruction caused by the thing he created. Why am I talking about this? Think of Anthony Fauci right now, his utter failure to anticipate the harm that could result from what he created, what he funded, what he was actually involved with in the Wuhan lab. He knew it was going on. He was behind it. He was funding it. He was supporting it. This gain of function where they were manipulating life, a virus, and creating something new out of it. And that thing that they created through gain of function has actually spread across the entire planet. And we have taken Victor Frankenstein, the actual creator of this thing, the guy who caused the mess, and the guy who refuses to accept that it was his failure and it was his inability to anticipate the harm that could result from his scientific curiosity or whatever it was that led him to be involved in this. I'm not suggesting that it was nefarious and that they intended to unleash this hell on the entire world, the entire globe, every country, devastate the free world as well as those that aren't free, basically make us all pawns and slaves to the elites, the oligarchs who are trying to either take advantage of this problem or solve this problem. We don't even know anymore. But Anthony Fauci is behind it. He is a modern-day Victor Frankenstein. He's, he won't accept the implications of being responsible for his creature, his monster, the thing that he has created. There is responsibility here. What does the word responsibility even mean? Well, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's defined as a noun. And it's either duty to take care of something or someone, or the state of being the cause of an outcome. Again, Anthony Fauci bears responsibility for the cause of an outcome. And he is not doing the positive thing in terms of responsibility, in terms of accepting his duty to take care of anybody, because you can't do that if you're lying all the time. And he is. Every day, all of us go about our daily lives accepting responsibility. It's a concept that's endemic to law. I mean, the very concept of moral responsibility is the foundation upon which all of our laws are built. You've heard me say that when somebody says that they don't want to legislate morality, that's an asinine thing to say because all legislation assumes moral responsibility. There's morality that is assumed in any law, whether it be a law against speeding, a law against minors purchasing alcohol, trying to think of other laws that are just common sense laws about our daily lives. But obviously, when you have a law against murder, there's a, an assumption that you can't kill human beings because we don't have laws. We don't call it murder. 
when you slaughter animals for food. We see the difference between a cow and a human. The human has moral dignity, moral culpability, moral awareness. The human being is different, and the human being understands his responsibility within the definition of law to not commit immoral acts. Animals don't share that same awareness, and therefore we understand the difference between killing a human being and killing an animal that is going to be used for human sustenance. There's a huge difference here. Now, PETA would disagree with me, but they have no basis for that disagreement because they don't understand that the very argument they're, they're making for the moral dignity and moral worth of animals assumes a moral standard outside of themselves. Otherwise, who cares? Survival of the fittest, live and let live, and if people want to kill animals, so be it. So PETA, in its atheistic mentality, in its atheistic philosophy, in its atheistic assumptions of ontology and epistemology, PETA doesn't really have a leg to stand on at the end of the day because they don't understand you can't have moral objections to cruelty to animals if you don't understand the objective nature of morality in the first place. I digress. Frankenstein is a perfect analogy for where we are right now in trying to figure out who Anthony Fauci is. Frankenstein, however, I would argue, is a better man than Anthony Fauci. Quite frankly, if you read the novel Frankenstein, you'll understand that this is a tortured soul. Victor Frankenstein regrets what he did. He understands that he unleashed an, a, a horror on the world, on his community, that people have died as, as the result of the thing he created. And he is torn by that. He is wracked with guilt. And he's trying to figure out how, if it's possible, how he can correct the problem. That is part of the tension in the moral of the story of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I mean, she's making it very clear that this monster was created through hubris, through arrogance. But she's also making it clear that at the minute the thing was released and the minute it was alive, the minute it started to wreak havoc on the local community and then outside that community, within that country, and potentially the world. Mary Shelley points out that Victor Frankenstein was terrified himself and felt great guilt. I don't know if Anthony Fauci has any guilt right now. He's not expressed it. And you know the reason why? You know the reason why I don't know? is because I don't like being lied to. And that's the reason you don't know for sure. That's the reason you don't know what to believe. Because you don't like being lied to. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. In other words, if you fool me twice, it's now my fault. I'm the one who was gullible enough to let you do it more than once. And that's the way people are feeling right now. They may not be able to put their finger on the problem, but they're at the point of fool me twice. You know, fool me once, that's your problem. But fool me twice, now it's becoming my problem because I'm starting to buy the lie. I'm starting 
to be part of the problem. I'm complicit in the deception, and I don't like it. So people are starting to step back away from it and ask questions. And the problem is, if COVID is as bad as what we're being told, if these variants are more severe, which I don't know whether they are or not, we're no, nobody's going to believe it. And Anthony Fauci has more blood on his hands because it's his fault. It's his fault. He cried wolf way too many times. He lied way too many times. He lied about the mask, and now he's lying about funding gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab. He's lying to Congress, and he's trying to deflect from his own deception by calling Senator Rand Paul a liar. I mean, this is not an honest man. There's another novel out there. It's The Hideous Strength by C.S. Lewis. This is a very interesting, an interesting portrayal of the mad scientist. Whereas Mary Shelley talks about a mad scientist, a scientist, a doctor who feels remorse and feels guilt and feels this tension, this dissonance in his soul about being responsible for what he has created. But in C.S. Lewis's hideous strength, the evil scientists have no conscience. They have no soul. In fact, they're being governed by a disembodied head. Uh, the, the body isn't important any longer. And these people have, these evil people that want to control the world have recognized that, well, you really don't need to even honor the body because the body isn't important. All that matters is the stuff that's in your head, your ideas. So if we can just capture that and make that reality, that intelligence, that intellect, the big brain, if you will, if we can make the big brain the president of the United States, if we can make the big brain the premier of the entire free world, if we can get the brain, if we can get the ideas, if we can control the thoughts through this disembodied head, this intellect, then we can control the world. Now, at the time C.S. Lewis wrote this book, artificial intelligence really wasn't in play yet. Lewis may have seen it coming out there, but computer technology obviously wasn't even in its infancy. I mean, The Hideous Strength was published in 1943. Technology, however, was on the rise, and that was one of the things that C.S. Lewis was writing against. He was writing against the worship of scientific advancement, of scientific materialism, and its nihilism. Again, he called it scientism rather than science. Science is good because science is the pursuit of objective facts, of reality. You try to prove your hypothesis, and then when you miss the mark and you recognize the data doesn't support that hypothesis, you go back and adjust the hypothesis, and then you do experiments again to see if you're coming closer to what is objectively, factually real. That's science, and C.S. Lewis was all for it. But he recognized that scientism, the materialism, the nihilism, the arrogance of the mind over any basis of humility in the soul. Viktor Frankl had humility of soul, but the evil scientists in the hideous strength have no soul. All they have is a head, a 
a disembodied head that they figured out how to keep alive, how to keep the brain functioning, how to keep the ideas there. But that's all it is. But it has great power. And in fact, C.S. Lewis implies that this head, this thing that is representative of nothing but ideas, of the intellect, of the intelligence of the super elites, the oligarchs, the Anthony Fauci's of our world, that this head being disconnected from its body, from its heart, from its soul, is actually now being governed by Satan himself. You know who wrote a review, a positive review, of C.S. Lewis's hideous strength? I've got it right in front of me right now. The man who wrote a positive review, oh, he's got some criticisms. A positive review in 1945 of The Hideous Strength was George Orwell, the author of 1984. Here's what George Orwell said of The Hideous Strength. Mr. Lewis probably owes something to Chesterton as a writer and certainly shares his horror of modern machine civilization and his reliance on the eternal verities of the Christian church as against scientific materialism is evident, along with Chesterton's. Orwell goes on, his book describes the struggle of a little group of sane people against a nightmare that nearly conquers the world, a company of mad scientists, or perhaps they are not mad, but have merely destroyed themselves, destroyed in themselves all human feeling, all notion of good and evil, These people are now plotting to conquer Britain and then the whole planet and then other planets until they have brought the universe under their control. This is George Orwell writing of C.S. Lewis's hideous strength. And then he says this, All the superfluous life that is wiped out, all natural forces tamed, the common people are to be used as slaves and subjects by the ruling caste of scientists. Man in short is to storm the heavens and overthrow the gods, or even become a god himself. There is nothing outrageously improbable in such a conspiracy. Indeed, plenty of people in our age do entertain the monstrous dreams of power that Mr. Lewis attributes to his characters, and we are within sight of the time when such dreams will be realizable. Close quote. George Orwell, the author of 1984. When you think of 1984 and the Orwellian horrors that George Orwell prophesied, keep in mind he wasn't a believer, C.S. Lewis was, but C.S. Lewis was doing likewise. He told us of the dangers of the Anthony Fauci's, who aren't mad, but they've just killed any sense of goodness because they've lied to themselves and to everybody else so much. Now the only thing they believe is the lies that are in their head. And they think those lies should govern you and govern me. The solution in times of universal deceit, in times of Anthony Fauci's, truth is your only rebellion left. I'm Dr. Everett Piper. And this is The Rebellion.